Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord. And others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Without further ado, we haven't had a chance to sit across from each other for over a month. Who are you anyway? <laughs> Good morning, Good Doc. morning, Zeb. What a beautiful day. It is fantastic. Farms I... are looking good. The grain harvest oh, is going. my. Have you seen looking that good. grain? My goodness uh-huh. sakes. Everything looks good. And, and I don't want to say that you look good because that wouldn't sound real good. But uh, how you been? Great. Great. It's good. been a good summer. What are we going to talk about this morning? You know, I'm going to get into something that uh, I find quite interesting. Uh, the vigilantes. Okay. You know the Old West vigilantes? Yes. Yeah. It seems like every town had a group of vigilantes. And we're going to talk about that. Okay. Now, just to warn our listeners, uh, this first part is going to be a little bit graphic. Oh, boy. Okay? Here we go. Well, few men in the history of the Old West ever met a death as bad as that by a guy by the name of, uh, in Montana, by the vigilantes in 1864... There was a bandit named Joe Pizanthia. Now, he was implicated in a number of murders and stage robberies, and Pizanthia was cornered in a cabin on a wooded hillside near the town of Bannock. Okay, so picture this. He's inside this cabin, okay? Well, two members of the vigilante party tried to force their way in. Pizanthia killed one and wounded the other in the hip. Now, at this point, the uh, vigilantes got pretty upset, one of the guys had been shot, one was killed. And they were, uh, I guess you would call it mob mad. But anyway, they procured a small howitzer from the town, blew several holes in the cabin walls. Wait a minute, wait a minute. A howitzer? A howitzer. Blew several holes in the cabin walls and followed this with a storm of fall, small far, arms fire. Then they rushed the place. Inside, they found this guy, badly wounded, obviously, but that wasn't enough. The man had been shot in the hip. The man who had been shot in the hip proceeded to empty his revolver into the outlaw. Oh, my goodness. Now, they still weren't totally satisfied, so the vigilante strung him up with a clothesline. No, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. How many times has this guy been shot? Well, we're getting into the hundreds now. Okay, I think he's probably pretty well dead. Uh, but Do you know something about you, Doc? <laughs> you never miss the obvious. I don't miss it. You know, so here he is. He's been shot we don't know how many times. They hang him 
by a clo- with a clothesline. And they hung him. And they and so that's not all. They're not done. Then they set fire to the bla- the cabin and tossed what remained of Joe Pizanthia into the burning cabin. These were not nice people. They you know, but this was a bad guy. He'd killed yeah. some people, he'd robbed and you know, they figured, okay, we're going to, we're, anyway. So, you know, this penalty inflicted on Pisanthia was unusual. Uh, the savage impulse behind it was not. On a frontier where every advance towards prosperity and security was hard fought and hard won by citizens, they'd go to any lengths to protect what they had gained. You know, you're not just going to stand by and let people take your stuff, your cattle, your whatever. So the criminal criminal elements known or merely suspected if they posed a threat to the stability of the communities, uh, it constituted uh, the authorities to... Uh, sometimes they were powerless to deal with the problem, the, the local sheriffs. We know that. But uh, so determined individuals had to step in. And so from the plains of Texas to the wooded valleys of the Black Hills, ordinary men took on the role of vigilantes. Uh-oh. So banded together in secret committees, unauthorized posses or mobs to eradicate the criminal menace. So some objects of their fury were hanged, some were shot or burned, uh, now with or without a trial. Others were beaten, some were flogged, uh, and in grim application of an eye for an eye retribution, some actually got branded like cattle that they had tried to rustle. Did they ever make a mistake in identity and go, oops? Never. I'm just kidding. You got to know there were some there were some people that were probably totally innocent that ended up on the wrong end, aye. being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Aye, aye, aye. So, but in one notorious instance, a vigilante force of wealthy cattlemen and their hired gunmen declared war on an entire Wyoming county in an attempt to root out rustlers and also discourage the spread of small ranching interests. Well, the invaders lost the, and you know this, the Johnson County War, as it became known. But only after a three-day battle with several hundred defending settlers, and that was just one episode. But it it showed the uh, vigilante uh, action and what they could do. Now, the question of uh, establishing a vigilante committee depended on the answers of the following questions. Is it lawful for citizens to slay robbers and murderers when they catch them? Question one. Or ought they to wait for a policeman when there are none, or put them in a penitentiary which has not even been built yet? Mm-hmm. So, you know, You have a dilemma. You do. You take care of things, and, and they did. So, Well, you know, these uh, mob uh, justice systems, if you will, I mean, uh, isn't shooting a guy a hundred times, isn't that, and I don't mean to sound trite when I say this, overkill? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, you know, the guy that he shot and killed, maybe he was a good friend, a good a brother, a cousin, and they had no remorse about taking care After of the guy. After the first 75 shots, you'd think that maybe he wasn't moving. Yeah, he, he, he was pretty good. Yeah, uh, but yeah. anyway, yeah. you know, at the fringes of the frontier, though, the vigilantes had a ready answer to these questions. They acted on their own because there were virtually no other law. And vigilantism also flourished in settled parts of the West, wherever peace officers and magistrates seemed uh, overly concerned with due process. In other words, let's just get her done. Uh, 
or whoever they simply proved uh, uh, ineffective against the wrongdoers. And indeed, some authorities welcomed the vigilantes, even incorporating them into law enforcement. So these alliances might be informal. You might actually see a lawman standing idly by while the vigilantes did their work. Yeah, but uh, now a lot of that was a lack of courage, too, because you're going one man against, what, 30, 40? Right. And so for them to kind of sit back and say, okay, vigilantes, you're doing what needs to be done, even though maybe not quite uh, legal. Yeah. This might be a good place for a break, Jeff. Yeah, good, right? we don't want to have any more overkill. Okay, here we go. Hey, don't forget Zach and the rest of the group. What wonderful people. And I know that Dr. History knows these folks, and they are wonderful folks committed to serving you at Minakasha Sales. 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Number to call, 878-2091. All your great quality carpet, all your shingles, all your roofing material, all the upgrade of your windows with the Western windows save on your heating and cooling bills i'm telling you what just stop in and see what they have that you need and that's minicasha sales 1321 east main street in burley and uh, really good folks oh by the way too ken They've got all those great tartar farm and ranch gates and panels to the absolute best for your livestock operation. Minicasha Sales in Burley. And right now, bang, 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 they're still shooting in the background. Here comes Dr. History. All right. So like I say, sometimes the law enforcement kind of stood back and let things happen. In fact, that happened, for example, at Aurora, Nevada in 1864. After some 30 settlers in the area had been murdered by horse thieves and desperados, a vigilante committee rounded up several bandit leaders. As its members set about building a gallows, one distinguished citizen dashed off a telegram of protest to the territorial governor in Carson City, informing him of what was going to happen. Well, the governor uh, in turn wired an inquirer back to the U.S. Marshal Bob Howland, who was in Aurora at the time, and the marshal's reply was, everything quiet in Aurora. Four men to be hanged in 15 minutes. <laughs> in other words, quiet. Governor, it's too late. Where, where is Aurora? You know, I'm not actually sure. Where, I'm not either. Uh, I, I think it's down someplace close to Reno, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. But anyway, in 1861, the Colorado uh, Territory actually conferred official status upon uh, district vigilante committees providing by law that each committee should be empowered to, quote, examine and report all criminal violations of the law. So, throughout the West, uh, charters were granted to vigilante groups formally organized as, and you can call them a range association, a stock growers association, homesteaders, protective association. You can call them different things. They were still a vigilante group. Yeah. Yeah. And many of them held annual meetings, they had reports, and quietly went about hanging and shooting outlaws. And did they have kind of a picnic in the middle of the <laughs> summer, know, too? or uh, You know, maybe they had a... I don't know. Okay. But you know, really, the, the general thought, Ken, honestly, give me your opinion on this. In the days of the Old West, where law was not available, maybe by a call to 911, somebody had to do something. Exactly. And... Uh, I, I'm thinking that in most all of these cases, most I'm going to say, the the parties were guilty of either murder or or uh, thieves, whatever. So I I really think that they, uh, in most cases, n- knew they had the guilty party. Right. So, but you know, most vigilantes were well-intentioned citizens, and their aim was to protect the commonwealth. Some were men of wealth, 
and they wanted to ensure their private interests. They had little trouble finding hired guns to serve them, and gunfighters were the hardest to classify because, as a group, they were not really outlaws, but they weren't really lawmen either. And and really, a lot of these kind of hired gun types people uh, pursued both careers. Did the, the, did the law, if it uh, had the numbers, let's say a sheriff uh, deputized certain numbers of people, did the law try to go after the vigilante groups? I don't think they ever went after the actual vigilante groups. I think, again, I think they just kind of stood back a little, and here was a group Because that, these were basically neighbors, uh, business owners, right. ranchers, etc. And they were protecting their neighbors and their neighbors and yeah. their own interests. Yeah. So, But for the most part, uh, these uh, gunslingers were nameless, faceless individuals. They sought no notoriety, and they left uh, without a trace. Uh, once they received their blood money, so to speak, they just rode over the horizon, never to be seen again. They regarded their trade as a way of earning a day's pay, and they found no lack of employers. So in the early 1860s, the Overland Stage Line called upon freelance gunmen to help guard a newly opened route through the Rockies against uh, thieves and horse thieves and and, uh, robbers. But after a few shootings and lynchings, the stages went through without any problem. Railroads everywhere in the West recruited professional gunslingers as private detectives to combat train robberies. Now, in Wyoming, for example, uh, they authorized railroad conductors to make arrests, so kind of like a deputy railroad conductor, so to speak. Hmm. And in North Dakota, they designated all train men as peace officers. So they actually kind of had lawmen on the trains and the stages, but uh, the stage line or the railroads also still had private armies to help protect the, rain, wow. the uh, trains. Yeah. Now, on the great public grazing lands from Texas to Montana, <coughs> cattlemen who monopolized the land relied on hired guns to beat back challenges from sheep herders and homesteaders, or mo- more commonly, to protect their herds from rustlers. And we had that example right here with uh, Diamondfield Jack mm-hmm. and the sheep herders and mm-hmm. that whole story. Right. But uh, one reason large ranches brought in gunmen was the fact that ordinary cowboys would not always use their six-shooters against wrestlers. Well, ordinary cowboys in the real West, they couldn't hit their uh, barn wall with a six-shooter. No. Uh, the foreman of a big Wyoming ranch complained, he, quote, the men working for the cattle outfits seemed to have an understanding among themselves that they were being paid so much a month for working, not fighting. Yeah. And it was up to the owner or manager to do his fighting. So naturally, the owners or the managers preferred to delegate such work to professionals. And, you know, yourself, there's a lot of good cowboys out there. They didn't want to go out and shoot. And- well, and there is uh, people in history like Tom Horn, uh, the legend of Tom Horn, and you others. You know what? We're going to get to that. Oh, you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but... Again, going back to TV, you know, you see them rounding up a, a bunch of cowboys that are cowboys heading out to shoot. No, that didn't yeah. that didn't yeah. happen so much. So, anyway, often range roaming gunfighters were, were recruited by the Stockman's Association and given titles like cattle detective uh-huh. or stock inspector. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, when rustlers were spotted making off with cattle, the gunmen would arrive, pounce on, and dispose of the culprits. And in most cases, they went unidentified, and even when caught, they could usually depend on the protection of their employers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the cattle detectives, they actually ranked among the best paid guns in the West. They're 
wages averaged between $100 and 150 a month. That was pretty good. That was really good. In fact, it was roughly three times as much as a typical deputy U.S. marshal. Really? And in some places, the pay scale rose to $250 a month, plus bounties for obtaining the conviction of a horse thief or a cattle rustler. So, obviously, that kind of money brought some men of pretty impressive records and reputations. Uh-huh. And we're going to get to the one you just mentioned, but okay. actually, Pat Garrett... The ex-sheriff from New Mexico who had killed Billy the Kid was one of these guys at really? uh, one time. Former Texas Ranger, a guy named John Armstrong, the man who finally brought down John Wesley Harden, was one of these guys. But, and we're going to get to this guy, the most celebrated of all the hired guns, the one who probably was paid the most money and the only one to win national fame was Tom Horn. Mm-hmm. Now, he was also one of the few who wound up on the gallows for practicing his trade. But, you know, there's a lot of ifs in there, though. Uh, if he had done this, if he had done it this way, etc., they still, when he stepped on the gallows, they didn't know for sure if he had committed that murder. And and you're exactly right. I've read a whole book on it. Yeah, him. I've got books over there on my shelf, yeah. too. But picture this. Here he is, a kind of a swaggering, broad-shouldered, six-foot-two cowboy out of Arizona, Tom Horn proved his gun hand as a deputy sheriff in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And then he worked as a roving gunman for the Pinkerton Detective Agency for four years. And his reported score of victims for that period was 17 while he worked for the Pinkertons. Right. And finally went off on his own as a cattle detective, turned up in Wyoming in 1894, denying he had killed anyone for the Pinkertons and offered the same lethal services to Wyoming cattlemen. Well, his price varied, but he often charged $500 for each rustler he shot. And here's what he said. Killing men is my specialty. I look at it as a, as a business proposition, and I think I have a corner on the market. Oh, my. This guy was... He Pretty was, cold. Oh, he was cold-hearted. Cold, yeah. You know, he, in fact, he classed cattle thieves with wolves and coyotes and looked upon himself as a benefactor of society in destroying them, killing without feeling, and... Uh, not even sure if the uh, you know if the person was guilty, but he was admired and he was hired by the most reputable stockman in the state. On one occasion, his services as a range detective were even sought out by the governor of Wyoming. Mm. Now they had a little meeting. Uh oh. And uh, the governor was pretty nervous about this meeting, and Tom Horn he was just cool as can be. Told yeah. him what it would cost him and one thing or another. And at the last minute, the governor kind of backed out, got cold feet, and said, uh, I don't think I want to do business with you, Tom Horn. And and they left it at that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, despite widespread knowledge of his death-dealing activities, Tom Horn remained at large until 1901 when he was accused of shooting a 14-year-old boy from ambush. Right, right. The victim was the son of a small rancher who had committed the heresy of introducing sheep uh, into the uh, cattle territory. Now, Horn may have killed the boy by mistake because he, the boy was big for his age. He was wearing his father's hat and coat and riding his father's horse, and the killing took place uh, in the dim light of dawn. So, nevertheless, Tom Horn killed somebody, even if it was the wrong person, right. and killed this, uh, this young man. Right. Well, soon after his arrest, uh, Horn made a second mistake that proved fatal. Although no one had witnessed the shooting of the rancher's son, a deputy U.S. marshal got Horn drunk, then drew him into, a make, into making a confession, which a, a concealed stenographer was writing down what Horn was saying. Oh, he was what, hiding. What deception. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, after Horn sobered up, he swore he'd never said that, uh-huh. obviously, yeah. which you would do. But anyway, he was convicted, and on the strength of his own evidence, and he went to the gallows. A Wyoming cattleman reported, quote, he died without squealing to the great relief of many very respectable citizens of the West. In other words, he didn't rat on who hired him to do this, which, again, were probably some very prominent, respectable cattlemen or whatever in that area. Yeah. You know, I've seen the movie, um, I think, I'm trying to remember, didn't Steve McQueen play the part of Tom Horn in one movie? I think he did. You know, I'm not sure. I think he did before he passed away. And there's been other outtakes or remakes, if you will, of uh, the life and times of Tom Horn. But uh, it all boiled down to, yes, he was a killer, but did he kill that boy. Well, I, I just finished that book not too long ago, and there were the the sheriff and some detectives that found some footprints. They found uh, different people that had seen Tom Horn. There was there was enough circumstantial, I guess, evidence that, uh, in my mind, there's no doubt that he's the one that killed the young boy. Really, that's my my opinion. Well, then it's done. I mean, the, <laughs> there's no more discussion of Doctor History said he did it. Let, let's hang that guy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Shoot him a hundred times. <laughs> Yep, so that's the vigilantes and and Oop, sorry you know, about that. They did what Papers they fallen. Okay, they did what they go. had to do and yes, they may have been one or two or three that were totally innocent just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, the old west as it uh, was and how it's been perpetrated and everything. Um it's amazing that more innocent people weren't killed. It really is true. You just ride into the wrong place, like say, and you maybe yeah. you're riding the wrong color horse yeah. and the wrong kind of hat, and hey, this is the guy that did it. String him up. But you know, uh, boy, at those times, like you said, were dangerous. There were groups of people that just absolutely, they got out of bed in the morning or out of their bedroll, and they, they lived to hurt people and rob and pillage and steal. It had to be stopped. It did. And... Uh, if you think about the peaceful citizens, the, the homesteaders, the ranchers that just wanted to make a living, they took the law into their hands, and in I think in a lot of cases, they helped drive out the, the criminal element that was in their area. Woe betide the innocent cowboy or drifter or whatever that was going through the area at the same time. Yeah. You could be, total, again, totally innocent. Yeah. Just be in the wrong place. Yeah. So that's a kind of a chilling story. What was the name of the guy that they shot a hundred times? Joe. It was Pizanthia. Kind of like pistachio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, and I mentioned uh, uh, Diamondfield Jack. Yeah. And, and I was going to mention yeah. today for those that haven't been able to listen to all the stories, just go to doctor-history.com, and we've got over a hundred stories on there, and one not. We've got that many on there now. We do on our wow. web page, so you can go back and listen to. The one about Diamond Field Jack, and, well, of course, any of about 100 stories now, right, and, right. and I just go there, and uh, I appreciate the comments that I get and the support, so uh, I try to always answer emails that come to me from uh, from supporters. So You know, I, I just really relish Tuesdays and having you on the air talking about days of the Old West and what happened and everything. Not to change the subject, I've only got less than a minute left, but uh, our good friend Ray Bagby out there at Declo finishing that Concord Stagecoach, we ought to get him and you on the same program and talk about transportation in oh, the Old West. Be, that would be great. Let's yeah, do it. He's Let's an do expert it. at it. Oh, he is excellent. Yeah. But uh, you did it again. 
Thank you, Zeb. I'm glad to have you back here. Glad to be out here.